All right, you guys, before we get into today's episode of Little Man Big Conversations, I got to talk to you once again, hey, about those sponsorships. I know it's been a hot minute. It's been a hot minute since we had sponsorships on here, but hey, I have got the copy. I got a new one down the pipeline. It's taken some getting used to. Now, the last couple of times, we didn't have much luck. So I'm sure this time, the presence that be, the sponsorship gods are shining upon me, and we are here, we are live in living color, and we are going to get this sponsorship on the road. So here we go. Hey, ever read upside down books? Oh, Christ. Enjoy today's episode. Alright guys, welcome back to Little Man Big Conversations. Today, I'm very excited to introduce my next guest. I have known this man since 2008. And currently, he is a very successful actor in LA actor and director in LA. You can see him in current shows like Brooklyn Nine-Nine, NCIS LA, a couple of Lifetime films, and a short film he wrote called Batfished. Ladies and gentlemen, it's with great honor that I introduce my friend, James Tang. James, how the hell are you, man? I am good, man. Thanks so much for having me. Man, it's such a crazy time and it's a crazy world. I appreciate you giving me the time, um, connecting to me from seemingly the other side of the world right now but given this time globally um sometimes you know you over in the states compared to down here where i am completely different world but right now with the global situation we're kind of we're kind of in the same boat right now how is it in la and how is it uh, affecting you oh man um la so far seems to be seems to be doing all right i mean um i think uh, california kind of saw the warning signs a little earlier than the rest of the country so they started putting like stay-at-home orders in place a little bit earlier um from what i've been reading headlines popping once in a while it does seem that california's uh cases are you know either slowing down or kind of not as rough as like the rest of the country or the rest of the world so yeah uh, so far so good seems to be you know just tentatively just holding out in our you know in our homes and stuff it's uh it's it's a bizarre thing to to hit the globe right now um and as of this recording it is still affecting everyone's day-to-day lives essential services are still operating supermarkets medical offices more importantly are out there on the front lines making sure that we find some way to come through this but you're at your home i'm at my home but many years ago our combined home was that of university that is where we met do you remember us working together or the first time we met and hanging out at university? Um, I'm pretty sure it was our first, that one class with uh, PJ directing his short, right? Yeah. Yeah. That was <laughs> it. <laughs> man. Oh, man. That was so long ago. It, uh, it, it really was. For those listening in, um, I've known James here for since 2008. We went to the same university together. We worked on a few films together. But man, talking to you right now, take it takes me back to 2008. But take me back to man. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember? I think it was 2009. A year later, we'd worked on a couple of projects together. We're obviously doing the same class, doing the same degree. But there was a uh, one night at a unit in Halloween. 
where you yep. and I decided to party it up. And there are there are many photos which I'll put on the social media. Uh, patient, patient pending, got to get the co-approval signed. So yeah. may or may not be out there, but I'm going to go on a whim and say it might be out there on the social media when this episode drops. But man, I was coming off the back of a wrestling show. I had just done a show. It was a Halloween show. I had defended my title, and then I hit that gas and I went right. Take me to this unit. I got a party with James Tang. Do you remember that night? <laughs> oh, yeah. There was arm wrestling, a lot of drinking. <laughs> so I guess I didn't remember. I don't remember the whole night. <laughs> so I, my uh, shirt came off. That became my uh, trademark for some reason. But I think yeah. your shirt came off too. Yes. we. Uh, I, th- I remember, yeah, I remember that being a thing. And I remember us saying, well, we both have the first, we both have the same first name. So we've got to do this together. That was our reasoning. That was our drunk reasoning. And it was good enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a lot of uh, Arnold voices as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and many a classes where we're uh, told to keep it down. The Arnold voices yeah. was uh, not appropriate at that time. And, uh, we, uh, I remember the class we had, there was one class that we did and we were in the underground TV studio labs there and we had to do some ADR, had to do some voiceover work. We had the old black and white films in there and we were learning to sort of match dialogue. And for some reason, you and I on that day just got the absolute laughing fit over some silly line of, I've got a car here. And then it just car, became yeah. this, <laughs> it just became this running gag to this day. Uh, I don't know why, but I don't know why the giggles happened so bad that day. Uh, I'm yeah. glad we we passed that class, though, giggles and whatnot. But, yeah, man, I always, <laughs> I always remember that. I've always been thankful to work on the films that uh, I did, that I was able to work with you on during my uni degree. But it was shortly thereafter that you graduated. I was a little bit behind on you. I think I spent another six to eight months there just filling in a few extra subjects. But you graduated. Tell, talk me through that process. What was it like for you? So you graduated. What happens to you then? Um, yeah, end of 2009, I finished all the classes. Uh, I think the graduation ceremony was in like February or something. Right. So I was like, no. <laughs> I just went straight <laughs> home. Okay. Um, uh, home being Thailand, actually. Um, I right. grew up in Thailand, but I was born in the States. Um, went to yep. international school. And... So I went back home to Thailand. The original plan was to try to pull a Robert Rodriguez. Um, he used to direct <laughs> films such as uh, Desperado, From Dusk Till Dawn, mm-hmm. um, uh, Spy Kids. But he yeah. wrote a book called Rebel Without a Crew. And in that book, he talked about how basically he made like a super low budget um, feature film in Mexico. Yeah, because um, he's Mexican-American. So he just like went down over the border, kind of had some family and just pulled in some favors, um, shot a film for like it was like seven grand, if even. And wow. then brought it back to the States and ended up like selling it. People loved it. And that like launched his career. So that was my plan. I OK, that because, yeah, I felt like you know Thailand was kind of home. So it was a good home base. But then um uh, making a film would have been definitely a lot cheaper to do it there than, say, Australia or the U.S. Um, yeah. The problem was I didn't have any film ideas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that'd be a big problem. Yeah. 
And when I finally, I was, I, I feel like I had a voice, but then I wasn't really clear on it. And then by the mm-hmm. time I finished, I ended up writing a feature film script, um, probably on my third year back. But it was like, it wasn't like a schlocky action film, which also was big in the 90s. But at the time, you know, it was 2010, 2012. Yeah. I wasn't really tapped into what the market needed. So it was like some random like indie dramedy that I came up with. Um, mm-hmm. So it honestly wasn't like super feasible. Yeah. Um, I ended up, yeah, so, you know, spending about two and a half-ish years back in Thailand pursuing uh, freelance filmmaking. And then I took an acting class and started really pursuing acting as well. I really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after about two and a half years, things were really taken off. I didn't have a strong uh, vision or direction and so my dad was like hey because uh, my sister at the time was based out of Orlando still is actually uh, in Florida in the US and yeah. she was pursuing professional golf um, okay and so being based out of there there was a lot of there's a lot of golfers based out of Orlando and um, but they didn't there's something in professional golf which is like there's a customizing of golf clubs um, that people do on tour. And it's also like sort of something that's kind of bigger as like a sort of technology and culture in Asia, but not so much in the States. And so my dad like saw that as a potential like potential gap in the market. It was like, hey, why don't we open like a golf store, a uh, custom golf club store in Orlando where there's a lot of golfers and you can learn business and learn how to make money. If you make a lot of money, then you can just make your own movie. And I was like, sure, that makes sense. So, <laughs> yeah. So, what, yeah. What, what is what is club customization like? Is it similar to car customizations, like you know the flames, uh, the painting, yeah. and things like that? Or okay. it can be, yeah. Like you know, a golf club definitely, obviously, has a lot less components than a car. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, essentially, you know, you have the golf club is made up of like a grip, um, the shaft, and the club head. Yep. Uh, yes, there was a lot of lot of dick jokes um, that I giggled at <laughs> while working in the golf industry. Yeah. Um, but um, usually, people that buy sets of golf clubs buy them as a single set from a big name company, you know, like Nike or TaylorMade or Callaway or whatever, um, at like a big um, sports store generally. Mm-hmm. But because they kind of mass produce these sets. Um, the quality of materials that they use within like the shafts aren't necessarily uh, the highest quality. Um, There's different, there's like large tolerances. So like, you know, different clubs can have like completely either wildly different like statistics or like be really, really close and not actually make any difference where the reason there's so many clubs in a golf set is that like, you kind of want to have about a 10 yard difference between each club in terms of distance yep. so that you kind of know, okay, okay this distance uh, is it's this far from the hole that I need to hit the ball. So I know I need to use either this club with a strong hit or this club with a soft hit. But, you know, it, it's just about like accuracy and knowing your numbers and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so club fitting and the customization of clubs is like first just making sure like the entire set is very just accurate and like does what it's supposed to do. Uh, but then, yeah, custom components tend to be like of higher quality uh, and more consistent. And then, yeah, you could put on like, you know, rainbow colored grips or like, um, I don't know if I saw many flame, flame decals, which probably is a market in itself. But <laughs> yeah, just like uh, a kind of customization of the entire set of clubs. 
Right. So you've, you've got that. You've got your way in to hopefully start the funding of the film idea. Yeah. At this point, have you got a film idea? Have you written something that you feel like, hey, man, I'm getting some acting experience. I'm starting to think maybe this idea would be good to shoot. Have you worked out that process? No. That was the oh, thing. Oh, still. Still. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Yeah. It was just very kind of vacuous. And my vision was vacuous um, in terms of the artistic voice that I wanted to have. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially working, um, you know, starting a business from scratch, that kind of takes a lot of time anyway. So I didn't yeah. really spend the time on trying to come up you know, with ideas and stuff. But eventually, um, after a couple of years, I was like, no, I, I, I need to be in entertainment. This isn't really taking off as I thought it might have. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I was lucky enough that I was able to transition out. Um, my family helped me transition out and we eventually sold the company to a former employee who now owns it and still runs it to this day, which is pretty oh, great. Awesome. Um, and he's very, very passionate about golf. My passion for golf uh, wavers. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't, didn't help me. And it's also a really good lesson for me to learn is that really we do need to pursue at least things that we like have at least a, you know, modicum of enjoyment. Uh, If we're just doing it for the money, it, it can wear, get, just wear you down really quickly. Is what I learned Mm. for myself at least. Yeah. Um, would try to pass that you know, lesson on to other people. Um, and so, yeah, luckily I was able to transition out. And so about five and a half years ago, um, I moved to LA, moved to Hollywood. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. And with the intent to just write and direct actually, um, just to pursue production. Uh, I had acted in the past in Thailand, but I don't know, there was some subconscious thing for me that, Hollywood seemed like such an intimidating force that I was just like, no, there's no way I could, there's no way I could act in Hollywood. That's, that's crazy yeah. talk. It's going to yeah, go yeah, yeah. do production stuff. Um, and then after almost a year of being out here, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to meet people. I don't know how to get on film sets. Um, I don't know what the right way is or which way to go. So I'll just I'll maybe do some background acting, uh, background work. Just to um, mm-hmm. just to get onto film set because that generally is a guarantee of getting on a film set if you book that yep. job. And I resolved to do that, and as soon as I kind of did, I got onto a film set, um, and I was like, oh, "Okay, cool, this is pretty fun. Yeah, why don't I do some more of that?" Then sat down with a friend that I knew out here that was pursuing acting, and just wanted to chat to her about it. And she was like, "Just get headshots and go audition." I was like, "What?" Yeah, just, you know, you've done it before. Just go find a headshot place and then come to my acting school and then just start going out. It's like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, just like that. Come on, man. Just I like guess, that. Yeah, just, <laughs> just like that. Um, and technically, it can be as easy as that. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, there's a lot more nuance behind it, which I slowly learned as I went about um, my journey. But yeah, as I, I, you know, I started taking classes, I got some headshots, I started kind of just submitting to projects or getting auditions and oh okay and, okay cool yeah okay i can do this um yeah. and really just building up the confidence um and taking those steps and being like no actually I, I i think i can be competitive out here and i i feel like i i can pursue this and i really do enjoy this and it was kind of always something i've always really wanted to do since i was a kid but i just never fully opened myself up to it right and so you just mentioned yourself 
uh, being interested as a kid. Let's rewind the hands of time real quick because that's where you're at right now. You're in LA, you're in acting, you've got yourself some roles, you're a writer, you're a director. But take me back. You were saying before you were born in the States, so it's almost like a weird homecoming for you at the moment. But you then said that you moved to Thailand. How old were you in Thailand and how long did you stay there? Yeah, um, I was born in the States and moved back to Thailand. There was a little bit of back and forth, but I eventually um, settled back in Thailand in the third grade. Was that for work for for your family at the time, the back and forth, or was it just travel? No, it was more just like – part of it was just like kind of not being sure, I think, where my parents wanted to raise me. Um, Oh, right. Okay. We're on the run. No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was more like – yeah, I feel like it was just like – I don't know. Thailand would be a good place for me. No, no, but the States, but the Thailand. Um, So there was like a bit of, I think, uncertainty over there. Um, and also I think it is actually just both my parents, I think they're just used to moving a lot throughout their lives. There's a lot of um, right. movement, um, because even once we finally settled for Thailand and that specifically, the reason that the, what really, um, uh, forced our hand was, um, my grandmother's health wasn't the strongest and she was based out of Korea at the time. And mm-hmm. so it was like closer, cheaper, and just. Uh, probably have better for her health to fly her down to Thailand than to like go across the world to like Florida. Um, right. Yeah. So we settled back in Thailand, but then yeah, even like within Thailand during our years there, we would still move like every few years, like within oh, wow. the community within like around the school. Um, Cause our school, our school had this kind of suburban community built around it. And so, yeah, we just kind of like every few years just, Move to a different section of it. <laughs> just, oh wow! Okay, was that yeah. hard for you being kid at the time, trying to like make friends and have some uh, stability? Not too much, I think, because it was the norm for me that there was all this movement. Right. Um, so okay. I just didn't really think too much of it. You know, I so it was almost friend. like a backwards thing. Like, so you remaining stagnant is almost like the weird thing, as opposed yes. to like everyone else. Like, oh, traveling. Oh, this is so uncomfortable. But for you, yeah. hey man, when are we getting back on the road? That yeah, was kind exactly. of the vibe for you as a kid. Yeah. And even even now, you know, like since Bond, I didn't live in a single place for more than like two and a half years or so um, mm-hmm. until now in L.A. And even in L.A., um, I've either somehow like shifted, like I moved like apartments after like two and a half years. And then right. even within that new apartment, somehow the roommates around me would shift like, oh, okay. quite regularly. Yeah. So it's like there's always some variation of change that just keeps kind of happening within my life um yeah i don't know can't explain it but i think that's but my... do you prefer that do you prefer the con- consistent change like are you at the at where you're at now and the age you're at now are you getting normal are you getting used to being stagnant or do you still like the hustle and bustle of things changing i love the hustle and bustle um i think okay. that's also why i really love like entertainment and uh, acting. yeah um, and because it's yeah it's just like it's just you're just jumping from job to job. Um, okay. Like, especially as an actor, character to character, you know, like, um, though I have definitely played my fair share of cops. Um, <laughs> it's such a random, but yeah, you know, that's, we're fine for me. You know, if that's my typecast, that's my typecast. But, um, yeah, I played like a bad guy once and then I played a cop, a few cops and like, then I'll like, I feel like, yeah, or like I'll go on a date or something, but then it's just like jumping between 
kind of these kind of archetypes or role types. Um, it's always super fun for me. Mm, and mm. Working with different people on different sets. It's just this like, I don't know, this like stability within chaos thing for myself. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is the consistent revolving, uh, almost like a Wheel of Fortune style approach to entertainment. You spin that wheel and it lands on, you know, you're at a different set, you're in a different time, you're a different character, but it's a consistent evolving process of, like you said, like the randomness and the hustle and bustle. Being stagnant, given the history that you've had, man, that, that doesn't sound like something that you want. I And in saying that, are you feeling stagnant with your acting like you're getting these bit parts that are the same sort of type of roles do you feel stagnant with that or because it's a different set in a different location it sort of allows that case of okay it's different yeah it's the same role essentially different name but i'm on a different set i'm a, I'm a different location so i'm feeling okay about it right um i do feel somewhat stagnant in that i still want to level up my career kind of mm-hmm. from a- bigger picture perspective and i feel like i've gotten to that point where yeah like i'm at the cusp of a level and then but it's like it just feels like things have been kind of slipping a little through my fingers lately to not quite jump up to that next level um and then now especially with this kind of worldwide pandemic situation that's definitely like yeah on pause um yep yeah but it's definitely i feel like I want to take that next step and that next level up. But the unfortunate part of being an actor is sometimes that is down to other people's decisions. Yeah. It is one of those things where you have to kind of put everything in one basket and hope that the basket looks good and you've got the right ribbon and Hey, come on, like take my basket. But you mentioned leveling up. So you're a kid, you're traveling around, you level up to high school. Now, is it the same kind of thing? You're still traveling around, you're still in Thailand or are things starting to change now? Um, yeah, so once I did get to Thailand in that third grade and we settled there, we I, we did stay at the same school. Um, mm-hmm. for, and yeah, we stayed at the same school, but we'd move around it in a funny way. But yeah, I stayed at the same school from basically third grade until graduation. Um, I can't remember if that would be year four in Australia because um, I know British system doesn't have kindergarten. It just says year one to year 13. Yeah, there's a it, it it varies. I think down here now it's um, some schools include kindergarten, some don't. But uh, I think the starting point when I was in high school, the starting point for high school was grade seven till twelve. Oh wow! Yeah, right, that's so, right. Yeah, high school is like super long for you guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, I guess there's no middle school then. No, because because you, you you go, um, yeah. It's it's it, like I said. It depends if some schools include kindergarten. Because then if you go from kindergarten, you're immediately in grade one. Like the next year, obviously, but you're in the same school. Um, but yeah, when I was going through the schooling system, grade six was the last of the um, uh, public school, primary school. Yeah, and then grade seven to twelve was the high school. Uh, that may have changed now. Um, I know the last high school I went to. Uh, grade eight was considered the beginning of high school. So it, it, it really does vary. I'm not sure what it is now, but that was what it was at the time. So you're saying your school had the whole block from st- start to finish? My school, it offered that, but it still divided them up into um, elementary, middle, and high school. Right, okay. I feel like 
it's a more American style um, mm. format. We, yeah, I think the school pulled from both like American and European style um, uh, formats, but yeah, oh, it was just to like, switch it up. Yeah, just to just to throw some you know spices in there. But it would go from kindergarten to fifth grade, so that's about six years of elementary school, and then six to eight, so three years for middle school, and then nine to twelve, four years for high school. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So during this time that you're coming up through the schooling system, are you developing an interest in acting or anything at this point, or is it still just trying to sort of soul search and find yourself like most teenagers are in high school trying to find your own identity or yeah. were you looking at the bigger picture at this point going hey i'm really liking these films i'm liking the writing acting's kind of cool what is it like for you it was uh definitely the soul searching part um it was all very much like a underlying subconscious thing i feel because uh, okay. i grew up around films because we were we were lucky enough my dad had a um, like a movie theater room uh, yeah. Home cin- so he had a like a collection of movies. You know, he was just a big cinephile. So I always grew up around that, and yep. I love that world. So that it definitely influenced me. But like, I think getting older and going through life and like just starting to develop notions that like, oh, that's not, you know, I don't, I don't know how to do, no way I could do that or whatever. Um, our school also didn't really have a film program at the time. We did have a like one film studies class in middle school, and I, did I take it? No, I think I took an after school version of that, so it wasn't a full version of the class. I think I, I didn't even like take the actual like elective as a class. I didn't know. I don't know why. Thinking back on it, okay. So there yeah. was always like some touching and dabbling in it. So like I did like a high school play, like a small role of that. Um, yes, yeah. you know I was sang in choir. I did get into flash animation uh, in the like last yeah, okay. two yeah. years of school or so. Yeah, like um, somehow got a copy of Flash. Uh, you know, I was big a big fan of Newgrounds, and <laughs> yeah, and wanted to try to like create something to submit to it and be like, "Sup, this is what I can." And I tried to mm-hmm. do that with my best friend, but we knew nothing about animation or the filmmaking process or anything so i ended up yeah it's kind of self-teaching myself how to like animate mm-hmm. which luckily carried over to editing yeah very, very easily yeah no I, I feel you on that because i had a similar process when i was going through high school there was a uh, a subject that i did called computer studies and at one point yeah that whole uh that whole term was devoted to flash and doing animations in um, Flash. And I felt the same thing, you know, Newgrounds and what was it, Mini Clip uh, with two big sites back then where everyone was like, yeah, look at this Flash animation, look at these games, look at these funny movies and felt the same thing. Hey, man, I could make something like this. I'm, I'm doing it now and then in this high school class. Let's see where this leads. Same turnout. Man, I don't know anything about Flash. This is ridiculous. <laughs> but very similar approach. It was also film and television class during my high school. And I, yeah, I, I think I was stuck with movie maker for a while, which okay. is <laughs> looking back on it now. How did I create things in that? Because that right. is just, it's yeah, it's very much anyway. Yeah. Um, but we were given, I think it was the very early versions uh, of Premiere Pro. And 
that started to develop and tweak my interest because I was already creating sort of – I was downloading clips of like the cutscenes from video games and cutscenes from um, Final Fantasy, like the movies and um, the clips of the wrestling and cutting it all together and, and telling a story with a song. So I was essentially making like a music tribute video. Yeah. And I – and I, and I kind of liked the creativity that that, great, that gave because it was, yeah, look, the clips are already as what they are. I'm not going out and shooting anything, but I'm using these clips to explain the song of what's happening here. And I've always, like, been a, a massive fan of storytelling and music videos, I feel, for me, sort of resonate with that because it forces you to think a bit more like, all right, we've got to do these shots. We've got to use this bit of action. We've got to explain this story. These are the lyrics. You're, you can't, you're confined in a way because of the lyrics that are on and the, the sound that's happening through the song. But at the same time, it's also a, a hybrid where you're confined to, yep, those lyrics, but you're also allowed to get creative with it and go, all right, how do we explain these lyrics? How do we complement the song? So I was really into that. So it's really interesting that you kind of, as you said, self-taught yourself editing because that's exactly what I was doing through it. And uh, yeah, similar approach to myself editing, but was that where it kind of stopped for you, being that your dad was a cinemaphile, you're doing these cinema classes? Did it did it stick with you? Were you was it always like coming out of doing that afternoon class? Were you were you still invested in it when uh, when the last day of high school happened, or were you starting to look at something else? Um, no, I was. I kind of was, but still kind of subconsciously because um, yeah, I was very undecided of what I wanted to do. Um, yeah, I only got into one university mm -hmm. um i applied to four wow okay yeah i was in a really weird state of mind at the time um it was i don't know there was this whole part of my life where i just kind of lived certain things through notions i didn't have any confirmation i just lived through these stupid notions of what i had what i thought reality was and when around the time i was applying to colleges to universities mm -hmm. um i had a friend yep. just kind of offhand as a comment was just like i mean i don't know what the point is we're probably gonna as american citizens like i don't know what the point is we're probably gonna get drafted for the the second iraq war anyway because that was what was happening oh, wow. around the time <laughs> so yeah i was like yeah nice you're fucking right you're right like what is the point fuck this shit so <laughs> oh so he, he got to you he, he got he got to you and you were really was, that hit that hit home yeah but like i was like I didn't know how the world worked. I was convinced <laughs> that's how the world worked from some offhand comment. I doubt he even remembers like saying that now. Um, but for me, that was just like, oh, yeah. Yeah, what is the point, huh? So it was this weird defeatist <laughs> attitude that like I was like, uh, fine, I'll, I'll, I don't know. I'll apply to these three schools. And they happened to be like the top three Californian public school, public universities that like – as an out-of-state applyee, one would have needed like a full, you know, full 4.0 minimum GPA and like a full SAT score and like extracurricular activities at the ass, which uh, was that me. So I didn't get into any of those. And as a sort of safety and as a suggestion, there was a school my friend, a uh, close friend of mine had gone to, she was a year older than me, so she had gotten into that one. And my mom was just like, why don't you try that one? I was like... Yeah, sure, whatever. And then I got it. <laughs> <laughs> so was it 
you're at the end of high school and you're just sort of feeling like would you're saying notions so would it be kind of almost similar to that of feeling like you're on autopilot like you're just doing things for the sake of doing it not really putting time or emotion into it you just sort of click and apply shrugging the shoulders and just seeing what happens definitely yeah um because i think i i didn't know what i wanted to go into but when people asked me i was like i don't know like engineering i guess because i knew nothing about engineering but because (laughs) it was kind of the stereotype for like Asians to study engineering and that was like I was just like sure I I guess I'll do engineering and people were like okay and then I didn't even study engineering (laughs) (laughs) I'm passionate about engineering what's that I've got no idea exactly Exactly. so you left it pretty much up until the last minute which is interesting because uh, I referenced this in my first episode so for anyone listening to this interview with James Tang thus far Go back and hit the first episode, Little Man, Big Conversations, episode one. I left it I left it until the very last week of high school to decide what I'm doing. I'm talking the Wednesday afternoon, and we were out of there by Friday. And we didn't even have a Friday class. The Friday was the sort of, you know, the whole school essentially did like a guard of honor. They clapped, and you walked out those gates, and that was it. So I left it 48 hours before it was a case of you're out of here, man. And they were putting the, they were putting the pressure on me. It was the last term of high school, man, what are you doing? I don't know. What are you doing? I don't know. Very similar to you because I was feeling like I was on autopilot. I didn't know what I wanted to do and I didn't have the option of engineering, but I thought, Hey, I've been doing the self-taught editing thing. Making the music videos is okay. I, I don't know, film and television. And they said, great, okay, well, here's here's how to apply. And I applied to two different universities. One wanted a portfolio of all my work that I had done. And I was like, but I've just made like really terrible high school-based <laughs> projects. Like there's no framing, there's no lighting, there's no consistency. The editing is like, well, it's rough at best. Like it's it's not pristine footage that I want anyone outside of my class to see. Um, And the other university, which is the one that we ended up at, they said, hey, just hand in your grades. And um, naturally, I had done film and television, but I also did drama, so therefore I did acting. And the grades were enough. Within, I think, maybe roughly three weeks, I got a big envelope in the mail, and it said, do not contact us again. No, it said... (laughs) It it was it was it said hey welcome here's orientation week we'll see you in we'll see you in January or whenever it was and yeah I really left it to the last minute so it's comforting to know that um, people that are listening and even yourself right now speaking to you they can feel some sort of oh okay so I'm not the only one because when you go into that process I don't know how it was for you but I definitely felt like man I feel like I'm the only one here that doesn't have his post high school shit together i think everyone else was like i'm doing fitness i'm doing medicine i'm doing you know carpeting i'm gonna do a trade and everyone seemingly had this memo and they had their life sorted and they're you know they're all about 17 8 year, 18 years old right, right, and yeah. i just felt so out of it but people are out there they're listening it's it is okay it does work out in the end um was that what it was like for you when you sort of were like, man, I guess I'll apply. And were you relieved when that letter came through? Did you get a letter or was it an email or how did it work for you? 
It was a letter. Yeah. Um, just for me to clarify, though, I, I'm assuming in Australia, you have to declare your major before you leave high school then? Is that how it's? Um, there was there was just a case of, hey, these are the degrees that are available coming out of high school. You have to have or you have to have reached. Um, there's there's two ways to do it. There's an OP or there's a ranking system back when I did it. So the OP is the high school exam that everyone sits down and based on the answers, you get a you get a number. Um, but you can also choose not to sit the OP and it's called a ranking and the ranking basically tallied up all your assessments and all your assignments rather of what you did throughout the grade 12 and combined it all based on the grade average. So if you got a lot of B's, if you got a lot of B's and A's, if you got a lot of A's and C's, like it, it sort of did a mathematical calculation and worked out your ranking number, which was equivalent to that of an OP. So... Yeah, it was just a case of, hey, there's a film television degree at this university. It's a bachelor's degree. You have to meet this criteria. If you think you have that, hit apply. Um, and that was that was essentially the process. It was just a case of, all right, I'm going to do a bachelor's degree. And yeah, that was essentially it. So it was different, different for you? Yeah, because um, the school I got into was a Canadian-based school as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel like... I applied to American and Canadian schools, and and especially that you didn't need to go declare a major going into a lot of them. Um, I think certain ones did, but the ones I applied to did not. Uh, or I think the UCs, the California schools, did, but then, or it was like you could. I'm trying to think back, actually, no, you could like kind of like choose one area and see how it went. Um, and but luckily, the yeah. school I applied to also had like a sort of they called it foundations. It was just kind of like a general education um, for like the first year or two, I think. And so that kind of gave us sort of like a two year, almost like gap as well before fully needing to decide um, what you wanted to go into. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that was, yeah, essentially like, you know, I, I, that was the only school I got. Um, I got the letter in the mail it was funny because I had asked my English teacher for a recommendation letter. And I think the day he came up to me, I was like, Hey, I just sent it off. I was like, Oh, cool. Thank you. Like the day of, like I got the letter saying I got it. <laughs> so I was like, Oh, because I didn't even need that. Um, wow. Yeah. So yeah, I just kind of got into that. I went to the school and I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, luckily there's this foundations program. Um, and yeah, I was just, I just, with the, that gave me some room for electives. So I just started taking random electives and I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll, I'll try this. Maybe I'll try that. And I ended up taking a film course. Okay. And I was like, Hey, this is fun. I could do this. It's yeah. cool. This is awesome. Um, <laughs> so I started taking the film. I took one film class and then I was like, because at first I was like, maybe I'll try, I'll go into like Asian studies or something. Because I took some classes where like I kind of resonated. It was like a sort of like Eastern philosophy class. So I was like, oh, this is, is kind of cool. So that was like the only thing that was kind of like sparking my interest at the time after taking so many random classes. So I took a film class. I was like, oh, this is awesome. No, maybe, no, I'll, I'll do film. I think I'll do it. And as soon as I decided that, they were like, hey, guys, next year we're going to close the film program to restructure it. So good uh. luck. I was like, ah, okay then. 
Um, and so that summer, that was the end of my second year. So that summer I went back to Thailand and was just kind of chatting with friends about like this idea that I had about a film going to film program. And one of my friends was like, oh, one of our other mutual friends, he goes to this school in Australia. I think it's a two-year program. I was like, really? Well, then I don't have to be in school for like another four years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I ended up just applying. And I think, yeah, just off my grades, I got into Bond within like, it was like within weeks. I think I applied in the summer um, or North Northern Hemisphere summer. So it was like July or something. I applied and I probably got in like maybe like September or something, August, September ish. And right. Okay. So I got in like basically found out I got in like right around the beginning of my like semester at in Canada. So I was just like, well, I don't have to do shit now, really. <laughs> yeah. My final semester. I mean, I still, you know, at least put some effort into the classes I was already enrolled in because I was like, you know, I might as well try to learn as, as much as I can. Um, but I think like, yeah, for the finals, I just skipped all of them because I literally did not need to take anything, uh, do anything. And then, yeah, I ended up going to Bond beginning of 2008 um, with the film program. Wow. So it was, so you were already in Canada and then decided to come on down to Australia. Yeah, as one does. <laughs> just a casual overnight decision was that what was that process like so this the school shuts down in canada you decide man i still want to pick this up i'm enjoying it australia says hey man you know you've got approved for this yeah you've uh, you're already used to traveling but now you're going from canada down to australia are, are you nervous at all like you're a seasoned traveler at this point is this just another flight for you or is this a hey no this is starting to feel a bit exciting um I feel like even to Canada, it was still like it was still a relative unknown for me because um, at the time I'd never been to Canada before. I had only been to the U.S. Um, so that was I was like, yeah, okay, this, this is interesting. And then same kind of the same with Australia, like you know, getting there, it was like, oh, they check a hundred percent of the bags uh, through the scan. Yeah, okay, so that's different. Okay. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought my uh, crack pipe. Um, <laughs> but, but it was, yeah, it was definitely like a, a really interesting experience going there um, and kind of seeing the differences and similarities between a lot of different countries and stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, in the end, for me, I feel like, you know, a lot of like kind of Western origin type countries like. U.S., Canada, and Australia. There's definitely more similarities and differences. Um, whereas someone coming from Southeast Asia, uh, I feel like when it's like a kind of continental cultural hop, then it's just like, oh, oh, this is really different um, in terms of like just vibe and energy and like infrastructure and the feel of things. Um, but I mean, I think I also end up just like living right outside of bond anyway for like both years okay so i wasn't like super traveling around. i should have i definitely should have but i didn't travel around australia as, as, as much as i should have or i could have um you know so it was just like hang out near bond or go to rubina town center <laughs> yeah yeah that was the that was the norm back then wait did yeah. you did, having the experience of both the United States and Canada and obviously transitioning over from Thailand was Australia a culture shock to you because I know you just mentioned there's some similarities but 
Yeah. Were you like, oh, okay, this is a completely different zone, or were you sort of a, a, a tested and atoned to it, and used to it, given the fact that you were traveling around so much? Yeah, pretty pretty used to it. I'd say like there was, the shocks were very slight at most mm -hmm. because, um, yeah, I feel like you know like just the infrastructure, the way things are set up, you know, in terms of like, or I'd say roundabouts were one of the bigger culture shocks. Um, <laughs> yeah starting out yeah it was like but like the outside of roundabouts like the ways kind of roads and traffic lights and like the way kind of like towns and communities are built and set up um it's just yeah it's like very kind of western um to me mm -hmm. and so just like coming from canada too because canada and australia drives on the left side of the road and so mm -hmm. coming from there it was just like oh you know it's not a huge amount of difference um in terms of like I guess like, yeah, just the way things were kind of set up, you know, definitely in like the weather and the, the climate and the, um, the accents, um, definitely, <laughs> yes. little, definitely, um, cultural differences, but I feel like it wasn't as big as like going from like, if someone like had never left either, either Canada, Australia or the U S and went to say like Southeast Asia or East Asia, mm -hmm. um, south asia i feel like that would be a much different like a much bigger shock yeah yeah exactly so you got used to the australian climate pretty quick did you at any point pick up and use the australian slang <laughs> during your time um, here i love arvo like avo like it's <laughs> like afternoon like come on like cut three syllables down to two like boom um yeah uh, that's also kind of what i love about australia you know just like Shannon just chopping down words a little bit and like abbreviating a lot of stuff. Um, I see that was probably the main big one that, was, <laughs> yeah. that I'd like kind of use to substitute in. Um, mm -hmm. You know, once in a while, sick as, sick as, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's still going. What do you So you're, um, you're you're in Australia now. You're doing the degree. The culture's not too bad for you. You're you're adapting to it, given the fact that you're a seasoned traveler. So you go through the degree, and you come out the other side. What was the process of the degree like for you? Was there any specific field that you knew that you wanted to head towards comparatively? Because that degree offered up various fields of the film and television industry. Yeah. Did you did you latch on to a specific one and said, hey, you know, this is this sort of is ticking the right boxes for me? Or was it a case of, oh, I'm just going to be a sponge and just absorb as much as I can? Yeah, um, I, I, that is kind of what I did like, really like about that program is that it, um, it, it covered like everything from pre to post. Um, hmm. But I think because I already had like a couple semesters of doing a film class, I knew going in that I was like, no, I want to write and direct, but I also want to learn about how everything works. So it can just, so I just know. Um, hmm. Because I remember, um, it's funny, it was um, James McWaters, I believe this is his full name. We mm -hmm. were, it was like one of the first days of class or first weeks of class. And um, he was like, what are you thinking of doing? I was like, oh, I want to write and direct. And he was like, yeah, but everyone says that. <laughs> I was like, yeah, fair enough. And he's like, let's, I mean, let's, yeah, we'll see after like a semester or two or like a few months or something what people want to do. Um but I do feel like 
at least to the end of the program that I knew, I still knew I wanted to write and direct because I feel like that's, that was creating the story and telling the story. Mm -hmm. Um, but picking up the skills along the way was, I felt super valuable. Yeah. So you can sort of have appreciation for all the different fields and if worst case scenario, something goes wrong, Hey, I kind of vaguely remember how to do this. So yeah, exactly. Writing, writing and directing for you was the one where you went, Hey, yeah, this is going to give me, uh, this is going to give me the outlet and, and the creative freedom and, and the, the creative nuance that I'm looking for here that I can sort of create my own journey. I can direct what I'm creating and you, you feel like you, that for you was the best field. So you finish the degree you're looking at writing and directing. You, you, that's ticking the boxes for you. Where do you go from here? Do you stay in Australia for a while, or do you head back overseas? Where Where do you end up? Um, yeah, so basically, I went straight back to Thailand. Um, I like the yeah, next week, or or eventually. Kind of like the next week. Wow! So you're out of there. Yeah. You're done. Yeah. See you later. Yeah, I okay. feel like. Yeah, it was like, I think I didn't, yeah, I didn't even stay for finals week because, um, was it? I think I just, because we didn't have finals um, in film. So I think, yeah, we just like finished the last week of class and then I was just like on a plane home, like even like during finals week. I just, I just bounced. So you aired your grad film because our finals was our graduation film. So we, um, yeah, that was our sort of final thing. So you aired your grad film, you got your feedback, you did the screening, and what? Three days later, you're at the airport. I think so. It was like at least within a wow. week. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It was just that's. Like, see you later. <laughs> was that a thing where you just like, hey, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not enjoying this anymore. Like, I want to get back home. Where you're like, no. We always from the other approach, which is, man, I enjoyed my time here, but I got to get home and start putting this into action. Is is that the approach you're having, or did you just want to get back to uh, get back to normal life as it would be? Um, it was, I part of it was, um, I mean, I I wasn't ever expecting to stay in Australia. Um, I think I didn't even look into the whole citizenship thing, but I just figured I would go back to Thailand. Um, because I was kind of home base and I would just like, just try to sort my shit out over there. Um, and then also it was, you know, back in the day, you know, in my twenties and stuff, um, like every winter after, uh, usually winter time, people would come back to visit and hang out. And so it would be like the best time to like go back home and see all my old friends. And so okay. I was just like, kind of like, okay, got to go back for that. Sorry, December, uh, Northern hemisphere winter. Um, to go back for that. So I wanted to, I also wanted to like give myself enough time to like go back home and like party it up with the old friends and stuff. Um, so it all kind of bled together. And then, you know, after a few, you know, a month or two of that, <laughs> then I was like, okay, maybe I should start thinking about what the hell I'm going to do with my life and how to put this degree to use. Right. So this, this is the process we, Click back to the beginning of the podcast. This is around the time when yeah. um, the the golf club customization comes in play. You're, you're reading the Robert Rodriguez book. You're looking at seven grand roughly to put a film together. You're calling in some favors. 
Then you make the move to L.A. What drew you to L.A.? Was it just a case of, hey, I'm doing some acting classes here. I'm really enjoying it, but I want to move to L.A. because was it the Hollywood thing where, you know, a lot of people and a lot of aspiring actors, directors, writers seem to make it big in L.A.? Was that what was taking you there by default or was there something else there that was drawing you? No, it was just, yeah, the fact that Hollywood is just the name Hollywood, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, that's where movies are made. Right. So, yeah. Go to the source. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, and also luckily being in a U.S. citizen, I mean, yeah, there's so much luck involved in my life that I'm super grateful for, you know, even being able to afford to go to Canada and then Australia, um, yep. big, huge props to my parents for that. But I think being a U.S. citizen as well, it just is so much easier to work in the U.S. than mm-hmm. like just not the U.S. basically. Um, which also, you know, being out here is such like a, Whatever, because you know a lot of people over from overseas come to LA to you know try to make that pursuit. But then like hearing about the issues that they have to go through with visas and green cards and whatever, I'm more mm-hmm. just like, man, thank goodness I was born here because I have that citizenship. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was kind of just like, gotta take the leap, you know, gotta go to the Olympics of the film, you know, the filmmaking world, gotta go to the Olympics of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like I like that phrase, the Olympics of Entertainment. So, yeah. you've signed on. You're waving, you're waving your flag at the Olympics of Entertainment. Yeah. You're in Hollywood now. You've met up with some some people in the field. You've taken the headshots. You've applied for some roles. You're on the sets. Now, this is the question I really want to ask you because you're going to have a unique perspective on this, and I really want to know how you felt, let alone professionally. But personally, when this moment happened, so not so long ago in the Olympics of entertainment down there in Hollywood, a certain film cracked the glass ceiling and made box office records, international records, and cinematic records have it amongst all everything. That movie was called Crazy Rich Asians, and that, uh, that was led by an Asian, American-Asian cast – Pretty much the whole cast was was of Asian descent in some way, shape, or form. You being an actor in LA, not only acting in LA, but of American Asian descent, how did you feel both professionally and personally when a situation like that, that had never occurred prior, I'm sure there were films that were led by Asian Americans that had some success, but nothing to this of this scale at that time. What was that moment like for you, both personally and professionally? Um, it was my goodness, yeah. It was such a it was a watershed moment. Um, yeah, there was so much hope and so much joy that like it it did well because yeah, there there have been um, you know projects in the past with like minimal minimally, but there have been projects in the past with like Asian leads or like. Uh, but it's it's become it's like this weird thing where it becomes this awkward icky thing where it's like it becomes representative representative of like the entirety of Asian people where it's just like right if film yeah. doesn't do well then it's just like oh well then Asian films don't do well <laughs> like what is the logic yeah. of that like how does yeah. that make any sense um, and thank goodness it did you know it it you know shattered all these records and it was you know it was definitely like a moment of like. Oh my God, this is, we're riding on this one. We're riding, we're riding on this one. And, you know, it shattered those records, shattered box office records. And it kind of, from my understanding of like the behind the scenes stuff, it also was like the green light for a lot of like 
you know, there were like horses waiting for the green light to like open those gates. And so once it like started clearly doing well and like crossing those money barriers, then it was just like, okay, let's green light this project. Let's green light that project. Or like, let's get this stuff. Up. This project's getting green lit. Hollywood's going, okay, that, that financially looked, looked well. What have we got in the pipeline here? Yep. Tick that, tick that, tick that. So professionally now, are you in the pipeline for any films and are they getting greenlit based on what's happening now? Are you getting offered more roles? How did that change professionally for you? Well, that's that's the interesting thing because it mm-hmm. didn't change that much for me. Um, really? Okay. Yeah. Because – and that kind of comes down to more of an objective Hollywood uh, hierarchy type thing where the right. way it works out here is kind of like – you kind of have to put in those like years and like the blood and sweat to start to build up like that kind of um, resume of credits. And so there's like a bunch of, there's, there's definitely people that were out here before me and they were kind of building up their credits and their, you know, reputations and their um, connections and stuff. And so um, it definitely started moving for, it was, it's like, a sort of like top-down movement effect. So like everyone in Crazy Rich Asians is also, you know, getting a lot of great opportunities. Yeah. But kind of the um, the blue-collar everyday actor that like is starting out or it doesn't hasn't quite earned that recognition yet might not necessarily get those opportunities to play like to get you know offered a role or just like audition for like more leading roles and stuff. It still kind of is reserved for quote unquote names. Who right. people okay. outside the industry might not necessarily know, but people within the industry are like, "Oh yeah, that person booked those things before." Therefore, like casting would already know him, or like, you know, producers and directors might know them because they've seen those projects already. Um, so, so even though that movie shattered some glass ceilings, the the hypothetical glass ceiling, um, and opened up the world to experience um, and appreciate to a greater extent um, Asian American actors get that recognition out there for them. You're telling me that there was almost like a lower level ground ceiling that was still affecting uh, people in, I guess, your area of acting at that stage? Yeah. Yeah. Um. Right. Was that, was that difficult? Was it, was that sort of like a two-sided coin? Like, yeah, we have all this success, but yeah. it's not radiating as, as far or as, as down the ladder as you would have uh, hoped it, it could have. Yes. Yes. Definitely a double side coin. Um, and yes, yeah, so, you know, sometimes the process is like we kind of have to guess as to reasoning behind why certain decisions are made. But like <laughs> there were some certain big projects that were like auditioning. Um, and one of them was specifically, you know, the lead is an Asian male, 20 to 30s athletic. And I'm like, well, that uh, I should be should be able to at least uh, give a read for that. Yeah. <laughs> Could not could not be seen for that. Um, no matter what, I I didn't even know really where to try. I was just kind of like nudging, nudging my representation at the time, and yeah, it was nothing. So, um, it was like this weird like even though on the outside it's like the gates have opened within the industry. There's like a system that's still in place, and it's like you still kind of have to play by the rules of that system, which. Uh, can be very frustrating to navigate. Yeah, so it was like the gates have opened, but you still got to be invited to come in. Yeah. And yeah, that makes that makes it difficult. Yeah. 
because also ironically, like there's, I know there was like a lot of TV shows that were kind of greenlit, at least to go to pilots, to film pilots um, uh, last year, beginning of last year, but they didn't end up greenlighting any of them, uh, which is the really, irony. yeah. That's so really the, shocking, man. I, this 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 yeah. isn't me just fabricating it for a podcast. I'm genuinely shocked at that. Um, it was kind of like, oh, geez, okay, um, okay, because um, yeah, I think like the only the only one that kind of had like a sort of at least you know like a few Asian actors and characters in it um, was a NBC show called Sunnyside, and right. that unfortunately I think after like episode ended up kind of getting pushed to like online only which okay. I think tends to have like a smaller audience than just if it's aired on network TV um, yeah. and I think it was just like the numbers weren't doing so well that they kind of had to you know push it aside um, but then there's also you know there's also good things that have happened and also it's it's like you know it's it's kind of chaotic so it's just like we can't, it can't be like a one-to-one growth thing because, you know, Crazy Rich Asian comes out and then soon after that was a film called Searching with John Cho as the lead, and which was also a phenomenal, phenomenal film. And it was mm-hmm. like that kind of one-two punch right around the same time to be like, yeah. hey, like, doesn't really matter necessarily the skin color or the, you know, ethnic background of an actor. Like, it's just, if it's a good story and it's well told, told mm-hmm. and people can like it, then you go. Um, and then, yeah, kind of like more and more projects was just it was just kind of like a slowly building wave where like um there was a rom com called To All the Boys I Loved Before on Netflix, young adult rom com that came out. Um Always Be My Maybe also came out. Um and so it's like, yeah, it's just kind of this kind of build up, this build up situation where yeah, it's like it's just it's just having more volume and more opportunities because not all of them are going to stick and do well. But to continually get the opportunities to keep trying, um, and to, it's just that kind of that feel of being able to have a seat at the table. So mm, yeah, I think everyone is going for. Would this be around the time? So Crazy Rich Asians hit. It's kind of a mixed reaction in the market. Some people are getting green lit. Other people are aren't are seeing that it's obviously a generic. Uh, it's it's obviously an all round positive thing, but. Still, people are seeing the changes, but there are still exclusions at play. Is it around this chaotic time when you get the uh, when you get signed on to do a, a part in Brooklyn Nine Nine? Um, yeah, I'd say so. So in Hollywood, um, there's there's something called pilot season, and that is generally the TV network, the big TV networks of the U.S. They mm-hmm start casting and filming um, pilots, which are basically right. the first episode of a TV show to kind of use as a selling point. Um, but they cast these pilots usually between like January to March or so, maybe, you know, April if they go kind of late. Um, mm-hmm. And so these are filmed and then they're usually like showed to like um, the executives, you know, up in the, upper echelons of the big, these big companies. And then around the end of April, beginning of May is like, they call them upfronts. And that's when like they start releasing and announcing, Oh, the show's canceled. The show's renewed and the show's picked up. Right. Um, then usually I think around the summertime is like the writers go and 
write the rest of the season. And then around like late July to like November, December-ish, um, generally by November, like by Thanksgiving, the, the industry kind of shuts down. But like um, generally late July to November is like, it's called episodic season because they're filming the rest of the episodes of these seasons. Right. Um, yeah. So it's like a semi-seasonal thing for, this is network TV in the US. And because of, you know, different services like Netflix, streaming services like Netflix or like cable, um, there still can be projects that are cast and filmed at different times of the year. Um, but generally, yeah, so pilot season is kind of that like weird, crazy time where some people are super extremely busy and other people are like, what is what is pilot season? What is this myth? Um, <laughs> I kind of fell into that category of like, I okay, pilot season, okay, sure. Um, but that was around the same time uh, because Brooklyn Nine-Nine is our show that's already been picked up. Um, yeah. It was just filming its episodes. And so, yeah, they were just casting uh, that. So I just went in, auditioned, and then ended up getting the role um, around February of last year. Do you still get nervous when you do auditions? Or is it a case now that you've uh, you've, you've done a few of them, you, you're kind of comfortable with them, much like traveling, you're, you're atoned to them, you know how to audition, you know what they're looking for, or do you still get those little butterflies each and every time you go in going, hey, this is exciting, I'm feeling good? Yeah. I feel like, you know, there's always that little moment of getting those butterflies. Um, but I feel like, I feel like some of the nerves are really, um, you know, self-created. Yeah. Um, it's, it's kind of like the difference between practice and a tournament or something. Oftentimes, at least like, let's say using golf as an example, golf is like, if you, when you're practicing, you're trying to hit the ball in the hole in as few strokes as possible. When mm -hmm. there's a tournament, you're also trying to hit the ball in the hole as few strokes as possible. There just happened to be a lot more people watching and stakes, yeah. you know, things on the line. But yeah. those are kind of these external factors we don't need to focus on or have any mm. control over. Yeah. And for me, like, you know, once in a while, I would get in like an office that like, oh, these, like, I know these people cast Marvel films, you know, or something. And it's like, uh, um, but I feel like the majority of the nerves, I've definitely am lucky to have been able to just like, just not worry about it, not think about them. You know, I think I still, you know, there's always that kind of like bit of nervous energy is like, Oh, I'm, I'm coming up and performing in front of people, um, that one has, but it's kind of like, it's just kind of fuel, fuel for the fire, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The nerves definitely fire up. They want to, they're there because you're, you're mainly excited about it, but you want to make sure that you're doing a good job, that it is a big opportunity, but you want to grasp the opportunity with both hands because I've always believed in the mantra of if you're not nervous about what you're doing, then maybe it's time to stop doing it because right. although we're in similar fields, I don't have the experience or the exposure that you've had, but we're in similar fields. I perform as wrestling. I've done a few short films. You're out there in LA. You're in the big time, but it's a similar field where just before that camera, that red light comes on, just before my music hits and I go out there to start filming, uh, to start performing, I get those butterflies. And I've had them every single match and every single show I've done for the last 12 years so far. Wow. Do you agree by that mantra that if, you, if you're not getting those butterflies that can or cannot be contained, do you feel like, hey, maybe into it? Like as much, maybe you're not passionate about it anymore? Do you feel that that's a that is a good philosophy that you feel like that is a mantra that 
people should adhere to? Or is it a case of, hey, maybe they're just uh, self-induced butterflies and you're going to handle it the best way you know how? I mean, I think it's a case-by-case basis, you know, in person to person. Sure. It's best for them because um, for me, I think because I can be very hyper-logical about stuff and and sometimes also just step back and take things from different perspectives um, depending right. on the situation. But like for me, like auditions, I feel like these are just like kind of countless job interviews where it is an opportunity for me to go do my best work and which I do my mm-hmm. best to do. But it's also like at least for an audition, I feel like it's like having the nerve sometimes comes to like not being present in the moment because um, if someone is focused on the potential payday or the potential of booking like a gigantic life-changing lead role, then they're not focused on the scene and the moment. Um, Whereas like, I think, but at the same time, it's yeah, if one doesn't have that energy, then the scene could potentially just fall flat. Um, yeah. But I, I think it really, it kind of just comes down from person to person. Um, what I think what works for them. And I think only we really can tell our, for ourselves, what, what, you know, kind of spurs us and, and makes us come alive. Cause I feel, I know, and I think it depends on our, our just general energy level to begin with. Cause I know, I think some high energy people, um, they might get overwhelmed by too many nerves Mm. Um, or the opposite or something, you know, where if it's like a low energy person, they're not used to it and then they get overwhelmed by nerves. But I think it's just like finding, finding our comfort zone and yeah, making sure we do push out of the comfort zone, but not to the point where it just completely destroys our performance. Or what we're- yeah. You, you want to take that dive, but you want to take that dive into that deep water of the unknown, appreciating new opportunity. But you also want to make sure that before you take that dive, you're able to swim because you don't yeah. want to go in and go, yeah, this is going to be great. And then it's like, and action, uh, like yeah. you want to make sure that you're not in your own head about it too much. Like, yes, it is going to be nerve wracking, but Hey, there's a reason they signed your name. There's a reason you're on that set. I've always known you on set to be a complete professional, very logical, as you said, getting it done, working out ways in case there is a problem. Yep. Here's an alternative. Let's get this done. Let's, let's shoot this scene. So always a constant professional mentioned just before about doing your, your best work. Crazy rich Asians is hit opportunities are getting greenlit across the board. You're doing Brooklyn nine, nine, a big show. Now <clears throat> we reached a point where the brakes have been pumped and it's a, it's a constant flow of positivity across the board for Hollywood, for guys of guys and girls of Asian American descent. Now with this global situation, Everything is on an indefinite pause. For you, being in that industry, being in downtown LA right now, and being a full-time actor, writer, director as you are, to come off that high, to be seemingly riding that wave, to now having the water drained out of the pool, as it will, what was it like to sort of go from one extreme positive moment to now being sort of left adrift in the unknown? Is this a strange process? Is there some sort of system in play that's allowing people of your caliber in your industry to keep working to some extent? Or is it a case of across the board shutdown? How was it for you when that moment happened? Well, I mean, 
I do want to clarify a few things, I guess, that like I wouldn't consider myself, you know, at that some sort of caliber right now because um, yeah. I'm not exactly at um, – I wouldn't call myself like uh, someone that's only sustained by my acting right now. Um, okay. Yeah. I've been lucky enough to book a few things and I'm grateful for that. And I do want it, yeah, like I said before, to kind of level up my career. Um, but kind of the reality of the situation is that like a lot of the people and sometimes the people you do already see on TV aren't necessarily um, out there constantly booking work and mm-hmm. working regularly. Um, so it's like, you know, sometimes it can be a bit of like, a, uh, you know, like the whole social media thing, like posting about stuff like it can become a kind of like a highlight real thing. I mean, that's definitely what I try to do. Um, but it's so for me, honestly, like it was, it's ironic in that I, this kind of slowdown was helpful for me because I was, um, honestly, it was pretty slow for me, uh, this year starting mm-hmm. out. And I was also like trying to figure out like, you know, was I ready to take a step back and like focus more on like the financial side of things and like just try to get some sort of job where I could um, make a bit of money just to really like keep a foundation so that I didn't like fall apart. But then the whole worldwide pandemic situation happened and like finally, you know, like luckily I booked like a part-time gig just before it all happened. So like I can work from home um, with family. Um, yeah, I'm actually not even close to downtown LA. I'm, I'm actually about 30 miles outside of the city because um, I just came to stay with family. So it's like, luckily for me, the pace is slowing down and it's really giving me time to like step back, you know, kind of cut down on any like excessive expenses um, and just, you know, focus on like growing the things that I, I'm passionate about you know the stories that i want to tell so ironically for me i guess it's it's, it's honestly feeling like it's a nice little pause Um, yeah so you're able to sit down now and sort of hone your craft to a certain extent so you're able to like write and um is, is that what you're doing at the moment writing and just i guess waiting it out like the rest of us yeah i mean you know just trying to stay creative um Right now, you know, just trying to, I've been trying to do just, just read poetry for people on my Instagram um, and try to throw together some little skits or something. You know, there's some people who are doing like a quarantine film contest. So I threw together a short film for that. Um, Just trying to, you know, stay positive, stay creative, entertain other people, you know, because there's plenty of people that aren't in my situation and I, I want to do my best to try to bring light to their lives in some small way um so yeah just trying to do that because yeah i mean in terms of like the actual film and tv industry like they they've been shut down since probably the 13th of the last the previous month um and it's kind of a scary situation for a lot of people because like you know obviously for actors there's no opportunities to actually work so yeah. That is basically to a standstill. And then agents and managers that make money from actors working cannot make money because the actors aren't working. 
Um, so it's a very, for a lot of people, it's kind of just like a scary time of like, what do we do now? Um, yeah. So you've, uh, so when the, so what was it like for you, um, when that moment hit and everything closed down, were you like, oh, damn, or was it a case of, okay, well, I'll adapt like I did with traveling and kind of looked for the positive in a negative situation? Because I've always believed in the, in the mantra of there's always a bigger positive to a negative situation. Right now, a lot of people will be looking at this pandemic saying, man, this is all doom and gloom. This is scary. This is, you know, bad, 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 bad. But for a guy like yourself, are you, were you affected in that negative way of, man, this is crazy? Or was it a case of, hey, now I can sort of adapt. Now I can get back to honing my craft at home, writing, doing poetry, like you said, creating short films. So you're still being creative in a certain way. So were you affected to a certain degree? Like, was it affecting you in a negative way? Or did you just, did you just sort of swallow that bitter pill and say, hey, all right, I'm going to try this while, while we wait? Um, I definitely say both because I think starting out, um, there was that, you know, bit of negativity. There's that anxiety of like, will I ever work again? Um, there was also honestly, and this is a really unfortunate part of kind of society in the world right now, but there was also the anxiety of like, will I be safe going out in public? Because, um, there's been a kind of rise of attacks and verbally and physically against, um, people of Asian descent, um, both in the U S and other parts of the world. Um, because I guess a bunch of frightened, ignorant people just assume that someone that looks Asian could potentially be carrying the virus because reasons. Um, and yeah, that's, it's kind of messed up. So unfortunately that is a reality of the world, but I, and that was something I was that was kind of affecting me starting out, you know, especially you know coming to, to stay with my family. Um, you know, I want to keep them safe as much as I can, but I think, you know, just trying to take every day, day by day, staying in the moment. You know, taking some time to meditate and step away from like the constant um, news feeds of like just terrible things happening in the world really helped me. You know, get my mental health space, headspace in a you know, better place so that I could get out of my own head and get out of my own way to focus on the creative stuff and making the best out of the situation. Yeah. I mean, I've always known you to be a stand-up guy, but I can't imagine the position you're in now, both personally and professionally, um, in this global situation, but you do bring up a good point. Yeah. There have been some very random yet abusive, uh, both physically and mentally, and even to some extent on, on social media or online, yeah. of these random, petrified, I guess, um, induced outbursts towards Asian Americans and Asian descent uh, across the globe. Um, it it brings up a, a fear of, of the uncertainty for sure. So I really do commend you for keeping a good head on your shoulders, but I've always known you to to, to abide to that mantra of, there's always a bigger positive to a negative situation, which is why I got you on here today because I wanted to make sure that not only what your approach was like for you, but when it comes down to it, I've known you for close to 12 years. 
but I wanted to make sure as well that I could get you on here and just hear your voice and make sure that, hey, at the end of the day, we may be doing a podcast, but I want to make sure that you're okay. Thanks, man. Appreciate that. While, while things are going grim, uh, you could always <laughs> go back to the, the role you're known for and put on the police uniform and patrol the streets. I won't mess with you then, man. <laughs> just get the nightstick and just uh, start shaking, shaking cages, shredding <laughs> people's houses and stuff. Speaking of shaking cages, I'm about to rattle your cage, my friend. This is the segment of the podcast that I like to call a deep dive. This is where we get inside the mind of yourself. We know how we've told everyone how we know each other. We've gone through the history of yourself all the way from a kid in Thailand, making it through schooling, and now having the experience of being an LA actor. So, James, are you ready for this deep dive? Do it. All right, man. What would you be doing if you weren't an actor? Man. I, I, I've thought about this. I've thought about this too. And it's just like, I don't know, because I don't think I would be me. Um, right. I feel like this passion runs so deep inside. That I, I can't not imagine life without it. Um, and at the same time, I think being an actor, the, the, the paradox of it is that <laughs> you actually aren't technically an actor until you become an you you become an actor because like right. just this last year alone I've done like five different jobs mm-hmm. and I feel like it's just it's just about getting by you know and yeah I can't I literally cannot imagine doing anything else. Hey man, if you're passionate about something, it's hard to envision a life without it. What uh, you you mentioned before that you're a, you're an avid reader both in your personal life and online of poetry. I'm going to take a stab and say that you enjoy reading. What book do you reread regularly and what book do you recommend to your friends if they ask, hey, man, what's a good book? Man, I feel like <laughs> I've been so bad with books in terms of like fiction. <laughs> I, like, all I've read in the last, I think, 10 years are like kind of self-help, personalization, you know, personal learning stuff. Hey, that's good. Um, that's fun. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, for the artistic side, like I loved Save the Cat. Um, you know, that's kind of like a book about screenwriting, but it also just like just about like, you know, story structure and like talking about so many. Just has an appreciation of films and story within films that like, I I do love going back to that, not just to like educate myself on the structure part, but also like just to read his kind of appreciation and knowledge of these films um, in terms of like financial self-help. I definitely like, I will teach you to be rich or meet Sethi. He's, he's like kind of like a financial self-finance guru and he likes to focus on the psychology of money and stuff. And I really like, yeah, I like his, I like his work. I like his writing and stuff. I like those. I definitely, definitely recommend it. What would you tell yourself now if you were just starting out? Man, that it's not gonna definitely that it's not gonna just happen overnight. So don't ride off that mitt and make mm-hmm. sure you get uh, get some consistent uh, part time work. Cause yeah, it's like I, I it's like I tell people about it too, but that I myself keep falling prey to it of the Hollywood myth that it's like any technically it could happen anytime. But like mm-hmm. 
it's oh good getting struck by lightning or winning the lottery <laughs> it's a very kind of small percentage and it's about build making sure all your ducks are in a row you know don't um go all in and try to burn everything out um without a high percentage of certainty which i did you know and which no one really does have in this industry so mm-hmm. it's really just about protecting yourself your own life that is the advice that you would give yourself yeah. but what is the best advice you have ever received this is from an acting career coach starting out early um there's a lot of people but there's not a lot of competition right yeah you know? and it's yeah it's just about making sure you show up and you do your best and a lot of the time you're already better than 80% of what's out there because most people aren't bringing it man i love that approach there's a lot of people but not a lot of competition i really like that approach All right, this is the part of the podcast now, which I like to call the Lipton Six. This is in tribute of James Lipton, who sadly we lost earlier this year in March 2020. He was an American writer, lyricist, actor, and the dean of the Actors Studio Drama School at Pace University in New York City, where he hosted and ran his TV show Inside the Actors Studio from 1994 to 2018. So in honor and tribute of him, I'm going to ask you, his famous six questions that he would ask all his guests before wrapping up his interview. So are you ready for the Lipton Six? I'm ready for the Lipton Six. All right. First question off the bat. What is your favorite word? Um, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a very versatile word. Yeah, it's yeah. Got a bit of naughty as well. It can also be just fuck, whatever, fuck it. <laughs> uh, what turns you on? What gets you excited? Could either be of the way you're thinking, or it could be something that sort of peps you up and gets you excited to start the day. I feel like, I mean, for me, what turns me on is like personal growth and like yeah, always leveling up and stuff. And I feel like that really turns me on about other people too. Seeing mm-hmm. other people like know their worth, but also know that they can always become better, and they go out to do that. Right. What sound or noise do you love? Um, the sound of a fork scraping the bottom of a freshly uh, baked pizza. <laughs> <laughs> Just like uh, crunch, crusty. I don't know. It's just like a weird. It's like a, <laughs> There's going to be a lot of people out there listening to that that are going to go, man, I'm going to try it. I don't know. I, I may or may not know what that noise is. I, for one, hearing that right now, I'm going to go, man, I really want to get a pizza and try this now and record that sound. I'm going to send you a video on social media later today of me doing yeah. this going, yeah, that's, that's a unique sound because I don't know that sound. So I'm going to, I'm going to go research it. What is your favorite curse word? Yeah. Fuck. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Um, man, would I like to attempt? 
maybe professional gaming. Just get rinsed. Yeah, like like poker or or like video games. You no, know, like video, like esports. Um, oh yeah, are you a gamer? I'm definitely a gamer. Yeah, yeah. What's your go-to games that you play? Lately, it's been a lot of the Call of Duty Warzone, the new yep. uh, battle royale mode. Yep. Um, yeah, having a lot of fun with that. Uh, and before that came out, it was definitely a lot of like PUBG and Apex Legends, just uh, battle royale games, because you know. The greatest prey in the world is other people. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to game with you now. <laughs> uh, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Hmm. Um, congratulations. Aren't you a cop? <laughs> you beat the high score. Yeah, aren't you a cop? Congratulations. You beat the high score. Now prepare for an eternal eternity of luxury. <laughs> I like it. I like it, man. Yeah. All right, James, we've gone through your history. We've gone through how we know each other. We've gone through where you're at right now. You're a successful actor, writer, and director. You're living it up in LA. We're going to hit the Nelson to overdrive. We're going to aim our car right at that finish line vin diesel style fast and the furious we're going to hit it into okay. the final four these are the final four questions i have for this podcast so james are you ready for the final four I'm ready all right was there ever a point in your life where you thought hey i don't think what i'm doing i don't think this is going to work um yeah i think it was the um it was, it was honestly the golf business part um, because I knew in my heart that I, I had to be doing entertainment. Um, and so I, I felt like I was just getting too far away from it. And so I was like, this is, I have to make a change. Otherwise, I'm going to go crazy. And yeah, again, like I mentioned before, I'm lucky enough that I could make that tradition, transition thing. Thankful for my parents and for Mike who ended up... Uh, mm -hmm. The company and now runs it on his own is kicking ass. Jesse James Golf. If you ever go to Florida, look it up. <laughs> you are Jesse James Golf. Plugged it right there. Have you ever stopped, taken a moment, and thought, "How the hell did I get here?" All the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, specifically, the beginning of last year, where I got to do background work on a little little indie project in a small galaxy, I guess, called the Mandalorian. Um, right. Yeah, I'm a freaking gigantic Star Wars fan. And I somehow, just through just a bizarre series of events, ended up on set for a Star Wars project last year. Um, I, yeah, that was, was the highlight of 2019 as well. So it's like, and that was the second week of January that I did it. So I was like, okay, things downhill from here <laughs> <laughs> can you can you divulge what you were doing on there or is it a um, hush -hush back thing? it's it's already out it's already released so it's episode four um, yep and yeah we're they just need villagers you know the mandalorian goes to visit the village to kind of hang out and we were just out there um being villagers doing villager stuff <laughs> <laughs> being a cop okay yeah. so <laughs> You're coming out of high school, and you're about 17, 18 years old. When you're that age, did you ever think 
at this age you are now, did you ever think that this is where you'd be? No way. No yeah. Way. I, I mean, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I would have even imagined. Well, I know I'm proud of you, and I know you've achieved so much, but for you, what is currently your proudest moment or achievement thus far? Um, I mean, honestly, I just, yeah, just mentioned it, just getting onto the Mandalorian. Um, <laughs> yep. But I think, like, how I got there was sort of, it wasn't fully in my control, but the parts that I kind of did have in control were like that I'm proud of having done so in that uh, it was like through a different project, like a, a web series project. Um, it was actually it's it's online. It's on YouTube. It's called Black Girl in a Big Dress season two. Um, but right. I happen to have met the creator um, at a like a kind of reading series. And so she, she saw my work and she liked it. I saw her work and I liked it. And we kind of just kind of kept in touch. And then she ended up offering me a role um, on her series, which was amazing. And then just kind of through like, like a connection through a connection, like because of that was like how I ended up on set on The Mandalorian. And so that like, but I feel like the fact that it was because I was able to do my best work and that I was able to kind of grow and practice my work that it led me to that. And so I'm super proud of that. Well, hey man, I just said it before, but I'll say it again. I am super proud of you. It's an honor to know you. I'm glad that I've met you all those many, many years ago. You've always been a stand up dude and uh, your proudest moment might be the Mandalorian, but right now I'm pretty proud to have this moment with you here on this podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. For the people out there that want to get in touch with you, what is your social network? Where can we find you? Where can we tune in? My handle is James the Tang. I'm more I'm most active probably on Twitter and Instagram. Follow me on Instagram and see me post pictures of myself and the occasional, I guess, poem or weird skit. Check that out. And Twitter is just me spouting off nonsense. So <laughs> what, no TikTok? Uh, I, I hopped on it for like a hot second and then I was off it for so long that they deleted my account. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't know they do that. Yeah, I think if you're inactive for too long, they just delete it. Um, so that happened. If anyone from TikTok out there listens to this podcast, I'll tell you what happened to James the Tang's account. Life happens. <laughs> so, James, again, wrapping it up. Thank you so much for being a part of this, man. Um it's been a pleasure knowing you thus far. I'm looking forward to your success. I can't wait for the world to put in the batteries and start turning again. Keep your eye on this guy, man. He's always been a stand-up dude, and he's going to go to great, great things. James, thanks again for being here, man. Thanks so much for having me, dude. All right, I want to thank James Tang once again for coming on the podcast and being interviewed today on Little Man Big Conversations. Hey, hit, make sure you follow him, James the Tang, on social media. And make sure you follow the podcast at LMBC Podcast on Facebook and Instagram and at LMBC underscore podcast on Twitter. Thanks for tuning in and I'll see you next week.